So I'm going to talk about wireless communications using light. But uh, before I really start the uh, volume of the talk, I'd really like to um, acknowledge the contributions of these people. So I share results from a number of projects, probably over a decade or so, working with these people here. As I always say, the good ideas belong to the people you see there, and I usually put the bad ones into the mix, and they kick them out. So um, it's really thanks to those people that you're seeing this. So why are we interested? So this is, talks to what Lionel has just talked about. So Cisco, in their infinite wisdom, create this forecast of wireless access to the internet. Now, the internet at its core is mostly made of glass and electronics these days. It's all optical fibers right to the edge. And what we're really seeing is a real shift in how people connect to that. So this is years, this is exabytes per month. So an exabyte is 10 to the 9 gigabytes. So a lot of data, that, that's the message. And it's growing, or they think it's going to grow at about 50% a year. So there's massive growth in mobile connectivity, wireless connectivity to the internet. And if you look at this, half of it will be offloaded to the fixed network by means of Wi-Fi and femtocell. So what that means is it's indoors, this is going on. The big change is indoors. You're seeing people throw away their fixed ethernet connections and go for a... Um, a wireless connection. So that's the demand. This is the problem. So this is the um, UK radio spectrum, where the colour means it's allocated. The axis along here is frequency. This is 3 kilohertz, 300 gigahertz. Now, the bit we're interested in is kind of in the low gigahertz region down here. And if you see, it's pretty well coloured in and pretty busy. And uh, if you remember 3G, uh, 140 megahertz of spectrum cost 30 billion quid. So it's a valuable resource. Back in 2000, that's how much the licenses cost. So the wavelength is about that big, and that's important. Your mobile phone works here. You can't see the base station, but diffraction and scattering and the propagation characteristics of radiation about this wavelength means you get almost an ether of coverage. And that is due to the wavelength relative to the size of building structures, stuff like that. So... The message is, it's pretty full, and there's a spectrum crunch, so-called, coming. So what's the radio community doing? The radio community is moving to what they call millimetre waves. So the wavelength moves about that long, up in the 30 gigahertz, that sort of region. The propagation changes dramatically. You don't get this nice scattering ether, you get a beam. And so you need to have a base station that you can see if you want this capacity, plus or minus, you might have a few bounces or whatever, but largely you need to see it. And you need to do steering and sophisticated things. You can take this narrow beam of radiation and get it from the transmitter to the receiver. Now we know a lot about that. This laser beam is pretty similar. That's a beam of light. Very small wavelength, propagates as a beam. I need to steer it around. So for some years now we've been saying, okay, well, if you're moving to millimetre wave, you have the disadvantages that light has, so why not go straight to light? What does light offer you? Much more spectrum and simpler components, potentially. So the rest of the talk's really about how you can use light to do wireless communications. So I'm going to talk about two areas. So the first, if you look on the left, is, is beam steering. 
So the idea is pretty simple. It's pretty much this laser pen but with a bit of engineering around it. So what you do is you take a transmitter. You want to send data to here. So you point a beam of light and you modulate that beam of light. Because you have to build a steering system so that as this thing moves, you can track it, you need to put in dedicated infrastructure. And typically you do that at infrared wavelengths, wavelengths you can't see. About the year 2000, people started thinking about this, visible light communications. The idea was that, that the world would be lit with LEDs in the future. And you can turn LEDs on and off pretty quickly compared with what you can do for a fluorescent or an incandescent lamp. So you can use them for illumination and communications. As a communications engineer, it's pretty interesting because I no longer own the channel. Somebody switches the light on, there's a channel I can communicate with. Somebody switches it off, it's gone. So it's an interesting area in which to work because of that. And there are some advantages and disadvantages which I'll tell you about. But I'm going to start by talking about the infrared stuff because that's where the really high rates are done these days. So beam steering. How do I steer a beam? Now, you might just say, I'm going to build a mechanical device and it steers it around and things like that. Well, we're not so interested in that. We like non-mechanical ways of beam steering. So we use these devices here, and it's called a spatial light modulator, or SLM. So imagine that you have a laptop computer display. They're typically liquid crystal. They have pixels on them. Light comes through them, and the pixel changes the intensity of the light beam. We've got a sort of shrunk down version of that called a spatial light modulator. This has got about 500 pixels this way, 500 pixels that way. What those pixels do, they're made of liquid crystals, is they change the phase of the light beam, not the amplitude. So we can write phase patterns. And this is a particular phase pattern just here. This is phase up here, and this is just the xy coordinate. So it's kind of a ramp structure. And that is a diffraction grating. Now, if you remember from school physics, if you sign a beam of light onto a diffraction grating, it bends, it steers according to the pitch of that grating. With these devices, we can program that pitch and change it so we can steer a beam of light which hits this thing. Now, just to show how good they are, this is steering angle along here. It steers for a few degrees. This is the efficiency. The red is the theoretical best and the blue is what you get from these devices. So these are really good control of optical beams, if you like. <coughs> Steering is not the only thing you can do. So we'd like to steer this beam through, say, plus or minus 30 degrees, that sort of number. It only steers through three. So we put some optics on. And if you don't do anything, the optics completely mucks up the beam quality. So this kind of trace thing here is what happens to the beam after it's hit one of those and some magnification optics. That's called aberration. The brilliant thing about these devices is you can work out what the aberration is, put the negative of that impairment onto the SLM and it corrects it. So you can take this and rebuild the beam. So these are amazingly powerful devices. They use them, it's the same principle as telescopes that look up to the sky and correct for atmospheric aberrations, things like that. This is an adaptive optical element. So what can we do with it? So this is the, our wireless of the future, or one of them, if you like. So here's your room. Now, 
Many of you will have fibre broadband to the home, right? Going to have a hands up moment. Who's got fibre broadband into their home? <coughs> yeah, a few. So, so that what's going to happen, of course, is that fibre will eventually end up in your lounge rather than just into the house. That's bound to happen as, as data rates move up. So imagine it goes into your ceiling. You have one of these steering units. You take light from that fibre and just steer it through free space. It may only be a few metres. That's all you need for an indoor connection. Now, that actually, it turns out to be the easy bit. The hard bit is here. You need to get it light back down the optical fibre so you can use a standard fibre receiver just here. So we have a steering out mechanism and a steering back mechanism just here. So we have symmetrical terminals. This thing actually works equally well that way as it does that way. So it's bidirectional. So that's the sort of dumb bit that we do. But we're lucky to work with some smart people from UCL. And UCL make really fast data and they receive really fast data. They're fibre systems people. They don't do free space, which is what we do. So there's the bits that we've got. And, you know, they're not actually very complicated. So here is light from your internet. That's coming out of the fibre. It hits our steering device and goes through some optics here, and off it goes. The receiver looks like this. So light comes in here, goes through our steering device, down the fibre. All of this stuff is to do with tracking the bit I'm not talking about. We put it together with UCL's fibre data transmission systems and did 420 gigabits per second over a reasonable coverage area. So, so that's 0.4 terabits per second. It's, it's three orders of magnitude faster than anything that you'll do. This ranks with the world's fastest wireless systems. And the interesting thing is there's no electronics in it. That the wireless segment simply steers beams of light. So, there is no electronics in, in any of it. If you look at high-end radio systems, they would have an optical fibre coming in, lots of electronics, a very narrow beam of radio frequency that they would also have to steer, and then they would go back into their box of electronics. So if you can stay optical and just extend the fibre internet, it's not a bad way to go. We think we could probably do a terabit per second with that sort of thing. So it'll be a while before you're seeing terabits per second. Where might you use it? Things like virtual reality and, and certain other aspects of wireless communications. People want very high data rates point to point. So that's the sort of thing we might do with that. That's part one. Part two is switching gears a bit and looking at visible light communications. So what's the challenge? So, so what does an LED light bulb actually look like? Well, an LED light bulb, this is one here, has LED chips, which are the yellow blobs. I'll talk about the yellow in a second. And an array of those LEDs within a single bulb fixture. So that's what you'll get if you go down to B&Q and buy an LED light bulb. It'd be a load of LEDs in a fixture like that with some power converters and stuff. But of course, in the room, you have arrays of bulbs as well. So how do you use this resource? You've got individual LEDs you want to use, arrays of LEDs in these bulbs, and then each room has arrays of bulbs in it as well. So it's three levels you need to think about. So I'll show you some snapshots of stuff that we've done on each of those levels. So what does a white LED look like? Well, it, well it doesn't, the white does not come from a semiconductor normally. So a white LED tends to be a blue. This is the spectrum up here. It's a blue gallium nitride LED, which might be quite big, a few square millimetres of gallium nitride. 
And the yellow you saw in that picture is a phosphor painted onto the top of that blue LED. And the phosphor makes yellow light. So what happens is some of the blue, when you turn the LED on, some of the blue that's emitted gets through that phosphor, and that's the blue component of white light you see, and the rest is the yellow from the phosphor. The blue and the yellow together make white. And that's why they look so bad when they're not good ones, because actually it's really hard to balance those two effects to give you a nice white spectrum. And that's why they look so blue, because there's a lot of blue in the spectrum. Uh, the really high-end light bulbs, they put a red LED in as well to move the spectrum a bit so it looks a bit warmer. So warm white tends to have a red LED in as well. Anyway, we're interested in turning these things on and off quickly to do communications. So if you measured the response, so this is sending a pulse into an LED and measuring the optical response, the white would turn on quickly and you get this slow decay. And that's the phosphor continuing to glow after you've turned it off. Remove that phosphor component and you get this nice kind of symmetry here. But it's still not that quick. It's kind of tens of megahertz. That's not quick enough for what we want. So the question is, how do you make high data rates with these big low bandwidth devices? So this is our channel, if you like, the LED going down to some receiver. Lighting does us a favour because you need a certain level of illumination to be able to read or the standards for that sort of stuff. So 400 lux is the kind of low end of a brightly lit room. And if you look at the numbers, the signal to noise ratio you get for communications at those illumination levels is very good. It's very high signal to noise ratio. So you get this kind of reusable region of capacity for the channel. So here's frequency along here, and here's the kind of gain. You've got five orders of magnitude of signal that you can use up to about 100 megahertz, even though the 3 dB bandwidth is only a few megahertz. So these are very narrow bandwidth, very high quality channels. So how do you deal with that? So just imagine the simplest thing I could do is just send two levels. I could send no light for a zero and just a level of light S for a one. And let's say I sent a bit every T seconds. So I'm sending a one bit every T seconds and I need to separate those levels by S to overcome any noise in the system so I can distinguish between one and zero at the end. How might I go faster? Well, let's say I sent four levels. Every time I send a pulse, I can send two bits because you can represent each level with two bits here. And that's called four pulse amplitude modulation. So what's happened? I've increased the data rate by using more levels. If I want to keep the levels S apart to make sure that I can still receive them and distinguish them properly, I need more signal. So you're buying data rate by using signal. You need lots more signal. So that answers the question, in my capacity, how do I best use it? So by using more levels, I can use all of this bit. But I haven't used all these frequencies up here. So I need to work out how to do those. And that's the modulation scheme that people actually use. It's called orthogonal frequency division multiplexing. And I'll show you how you can use that to use all the capacity that you have. So imagine 
I'm going to send data using sine waves of different amplitude, phase, and frequency. So here I've got a blue sine wave, a 1 when it goes up, and a 0 when it comes down. I've got also got a red sine wave. It's twice the frequency of the blue one, but it also goes up for a 1, and 0 is a down when it starts. So if I want to send some data, I'm going to split it into the two different data streams. The blue one, I then code using these symbols, and the red one, I then code using those symbols. So this is the blue waveform, if you will. That's the red waveform. Then I just add them up and send them together. If you remember back, cosines and sines are orthogonal functions. Because they're orthogonal functions, even though I've added them together, this is the data I actually send. At the other end, I can separate them out efficiently because they're orthogonal. They're independent of one another. So that's what OFDM. Every single wireless system you use, your phone, Wi-Fi, uses OFDM for reasons, I, reasons that we'll really see in the next graph. So, so what I can do, of course, is now I can choose any sine wave so I can access all of this axis. So the multiple levels allows you to access this resource, and the multiple frequencies allows you to access this resource. And you can use thousands of different sine waves. You can use thousands of frequencies all added together. And I'll show you a system where we use 256 frequencies all added together in a minute. There's very efficient ways to do the signal processing you need to do to do, to do this. So this is a real experiment now. So we um, are part of a consortium where we don't use standard lighting LEDs. We get special LEDs made. And they're small, so they're quick. So we want to see how fast we could go. So we transmit using a blue LED. We receive it. But the interesting thing is the waveform we transmit. So as I said, it's sine waves of multiple amplitude and phase. This is thing called a constellation diagram. So each of those points represents a single amplitude and phase. So we take 256 sine waves, load them up with different symbols, different amplitude and phases on each one, and we build this waveform. And that's the data we're actually sending. And it looks exactly like noise. You can't distinguish it from the noise. There's no way you'd even know you were transmitting data on it. It's so complex. So that gets transmitted over our optical channel. We receive it. It looks like this. We do some kind of processing, and that's what we get back. So you see those points have turned into blobs. That blobbing out is just the noise acting on the points. It just spreads them a little bit because of the noise. This is the magic just here. So what I've plotted here is a thing called subcarrier. That's the sine wave number, but this is frequency along here. High frequency, low frequency. The blue is the theoretical maximum number of bits I can send at that frequency. Because I can engineer each sine wave to the number of levels I can send, I can actually push right up against that curve so I can fill the capacity. That's why people use OFDM, because you can engineer it to your channel. How fast can I go? Well, OK, so here's an interesting curve. It's data rate this way versus error rate this way. So communications now, roughly one part in 10 to the thousand of error is a good thing because it means you use less power to send it, and you can correct it using codes. So you tend to engineer to have one part in a 1,000 being in error. This line 
represents that error. So above it, you can't correct the error. Below, you can. So you can see this is data rate. So for this scheme I showed you, we crossed that line five and a half odd gigabits per second. For the simpler scheme, it's down about three and a half gigabits per second. So these are from LEDs. So these were the world records for LED data links when they were done. We're now up a, a, bit, a bit higher with it at the moment, but it's access to special LEDs and being able to do this stuff that allows you to go quickly. So that's the individual LED. How do I use the arrays? So recall, each bulb has arrays of LEDs in it. If I sent, what I'd really love to do is send different data on different LEDs. So I've got four LEDs here. Let's imagine they just send different data. I've got a detector array here with four detectors on. What you'd imagine is light from this LED sprayed over all the four detectors, similarly for this one, similarly for this one, similarly for that one. Because of that, um, you'd imagine this thing would just receive a mess, and that's what would happen. But you can be more positive than that. What you can do is measure the strength of these connections and write an equation. This is my one equation. It's more complicated than Justin's, actually, I think. So. <laughs> but it's linear algebra. He had some logs in there. So, you know. Um, so what you can say is my received... If you know all the connection strengths here and you know what you transmitted, you can say my received signal is just the connection strength matrix, that's called the channel matrix, times what I sent. So in, in just in a simpler form, it looks like this. So I can determine that channel matrix by a bit of training. So I'm not going to tell you how it's done, but you, you can measure all the strengths of those connections. When you get to send the data, what do you do? You send your data, so here's a particular data element here on all the LEDs. You record what you receive, and then you do a bit of algebraic magic. You do matrix inversion. So you know R is the matrix times T. So if you, if you multiply the received signal by the inverse of that matrix, you get back to what you transmitted. That is called MIMO, or multiple input, multiple <coughs> output. And if you've got a Wi-Fi router that's 802.11n in your house, or you, probably your mobile phone, if it's a 4G phone or a 4G base station, all of that stuff is pretty routinely done in radio all the time. The signal processing is just there, it's in a chip, and it just works. It's a mature technology in the world of RF. In the world of optics, it's a lot less mature. What we did with partners, who I'll tell you about in a minute, is built a little system, uh, just a demonstration of optical MIMO. So we use an array of LEDs. There's our LEDs, got nine of them there. And an array of detectors. There's nine in this particular detector array. And we can do MIMO transmission with that system. <coughs> so we're part of a big government-funded collaboration called Ultra Parallel Visible Light Communications. And it's only by working with partners that I can even show you this, because we didn't do much of the basic making of stuff here at Oxford. So we needed some LED driving electronics, and that was from colleagues in Edinburgh. These LEDs, we kind of worked out the design, and they were fabricated up in Strathclyde at the Institute of Photonics. Optics was done here. So there's our transmitter. We've got nine beams coming out of that transmitter. At the receiver, we've got some receiver optics just to focus down some light, and an APD array, again, produced by colleagues 
in um, Edinburgh, that takes light in nine channels and produces nine electrical signals out. So we put all that stuff together. And of course, what did we do? We tried to work out how fast we could absolutely go on a Friday afternoon when the lab was cool, getting the best results we could. And this is what we came up with. So we've got 50 centimetres between them. We were cheating a bit to pull it in. I agree it's not very far, but that really wasn't the point. And here's another of those curves. So you have data rate along here, bit error rate along here. So remember, this is the, this is the line. If it's above it, it doesn't work. If it's below it, it kind of works. So you can see you cross that line between about 800 and about 900 megabits per second for, nine, for each of those nine channels. So that whole thing between 8 and 9 gigabits per second for that whole system. Um, it wasn't really designed for the ultimate performance we could get for it. It was really designed to learn how to put together systems. That was the aim. You're conservative, you make something which you think is going to work, and it did, in fact, work in the end. So that's a picture of how you can begin to deal with the fact you have arrays of LEDs in each light bulb. One more thing I want to tell you about is, is going faster and exploiting colour. Because, of course, it's white light that you tend to use for illumination. So you, you can make white from red, green and blue light. And you can send different data on each of those elements, on each of those colours and separate it out. That's called wavelength division multiplexing. So down an optical fibre these days, they might send 160 different wavelengths or 80 different wavelengths. So it's routinely used in fibre transmission. This is slightly different. So the interesting thing about this is how you make the white light. So we've got a blue LED. So we're going to use a blue LED as one of our sources here. We need some green. We make the green with a polymer colour converter, a plastic produced by our colleagues in St Andrews. And that plastic takes blue light in, converts it to green light. If you go downstairs, you'll see some demonstrations of colour converters from, from, from my group and some comms demonstrations. Those all come together, so that's the green. And we've also got a red module that takes blue light in and makes red. You get red, green, and blue together. A sort of white light. That's good in the middle, that white light. I, I guarantee that. It's not good over a very large area because it's a kind of proofable, proof of principle experiment. And, and you can see if you separate them, you can get this. Add them all together, about two, two and a half gigabits per second that sort of thing from each of those separate colours. So there's kind of more to come from the colour degree of freedom with this stuff. I'll finish with what it all might look like, or my, my idea of what it all might look like. So here's your room of the future, if you will. If you think what comes into a room, there'll be a fibre. That's, that's kind of a given to me, that eventually fibre will come to the individual rooms. There'll be power. Now, interestingly... It turns out it's cheaper to wire LEDs into lighting grids with power over Ethernet than it is with wires. And the reason is you do it at low voltage. And if you do it in continental Europe, it's cheaper to hire a low voltage, a data person than it is an electrician. So it just turns out the installation is cheaper. So who knows what's going to happen at the top, I think, here. But the, 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 the LEDs will be, have some power source and that will also provide data to them. And it might only be a downlink. Fibres will come in and we can beam steer light for, say, 20 gigabits per second plus to individual terminals. Finally, radio will be everywhere. 
Wi-Fi is everywhere. That will be there providing reliability. On top of that will be different standards providing capacity. I think that's the way things are going. I'll leave it there. Thanks very much. Thank you.